Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is May the 3rd, 2005. Oh, boy. Oh, the exuberance of spring. Uh, I've gotten all, all, what is the word? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the quivering ecstasy of all these tall trees bending over my balcony, you know, all day and... The beauteous gardens at the Zen Center and the Buddhist Thai Temple on Russell Street as I walked to the bus today. That just wipes me out. Uh, there's this excess of roses, <laughs> opulence everywhere, and a cacophony of colors. Oh, the coast of Northern California. Sometimes... It seems to me as if the earth is just laughing at us all, laughing. All this fuss about socio-political angst, chaos, whatever you want to call it. I mean, what are the crimes of men in the great scheme of things? Yes, try to think in centuries, boys and girls, whether or not we find what we are seeking He's idle, historically speaking, yes. I turn on the TV, always a mistake. But there was Kofi Annan, Secretary General of the United Nations. What nostalgia made me remember Eleanor Roosevelt and Adlai Stevenson. And all those good guys from the past, you remember. Kofi Annan is so dignified. Oh, he restores my faith in the possibility that our silly species is capable of living in harmony with the earth and its creatures. <laughs> Even capable of living in harmony with one another. Yes. What was that Hegel, the philosopher Hegel? He said, each consciousness pursues the death. Of the others, yes, we're all biological units programmed to gobble each other up. Could be, um, Kofi Annan, of course, was speaking at the United States Conference on Nuclear Non-Proliferation, yes. He quoted J. Robert Oppenheimer, father of the atom bomb, you know the spin, unite or perish, united we stand a chance. <laughs> what I remember about J. Robert Oppenheimer is that late in life, 
he pleaded. I remember, um, remember a film. I remember he visited my college. He pleaded for what he called, this is his word, affection. Affection, he said. More affection between governments, between world leaders. Yes, hold hands, boys. Hold hands. Why not? Uh, anyway, just why is J. Robert Oppenheimer still perceived as such a tragic figure? Of course, he was. I know that. You're no Jewish outsider. And then all that security clearance and all that. Um, what is it? He's somebody who who uh, got it at a certain point and did a U-turn, but what the hell did he think he was inventing? Penicillin? I mean, what did he think he was working on a cure for polio? Or uh, <laughs> Anyway, Oppenheimer's uh, best line, most of us remember, was taken from the Bhagavad Gita. He saw the bomb and what it could do, you know. Uh, they always want to see what the damn thing will do. And then he got grandiose. And he, uh, he said, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Could be, Bobby, could very well be. Today's death culture is certainly a fact. The world of men and nations is controlled or ruled. Um, or threatened by arms manufacturers, certainly um, certainly since the beginning of the 20th century, and of course we've been capable of total annihilation since the mid-20th century. Uh, my favorite for students is George Bernard Shaw's play Heartbreak House. That's set in World War One. you know. At the end of the play, the women are so excited by the aerial bombing that they sit in their garden board and say they hope that the planes will come back tomorrow night. It's so exciting. Anyway, in that play, the the man with the dynamite, you know, that's the boss, Zeus, the guy with the lightning bolt. This firepower has them all mesmerized. I remember during the first Gulf War, I realized that with a vengeance, finally, when, you know, middle-aged newsmen... They acted like it was the 4th of July, that bombing in Baghdad, and I realized that they do see it as uh, the final fantasy. Uh, maybe it's the movies, God knows, but uh, yes, guns, God, and greed determine the experience, the daily lives of millions of human beings. No, billions. Greed, of course, is uh, the first, first Concern Now, if and when we could put some profit into peace, that's always been my thought. If we could make peace profitable, then we might see some change. We might be able to motivate people, uh, get some progress in this global struggle to give all humanity at least a shot at, what was it, President Aristide called it, he said, Give us an ordinary, give us ordinary decent poverty. That's right. Just ordinary decent poverty, you know. Um, maybe five dollars a day. Wow, that would be something. Our own nation is criminally negligent when it comes to taking our share of responsibility for the human costs, uh, the cost of our theft of the world's resources. 
as I'm sure you're tired of hearing the statistics uh, are, what is that, uh, exhausting. I have them written all over my walls here in the United States. We get 40% of the stuff, <laughs> yes, and we're 5% of the world population. And Oh, who is it said the, the biggest ecological disaster <laughs> is is the birth of another American child. Uh, I would say that the disposable diapers alone are a catastrophe. Um, most of our citizens refuse to look at the facts, or anyway, they refuse to integrate the facts. I, myself, have not done a very good job of it. I did give up the automobile in 1977, but I still waste water, uh, and I haven't been able to give up cable TV. I think I must do that. I think I must get a grip on myself. History teaches us that decadence, decay, you know, leads to internal collapse. Things fall apart. The center will not hold. I was listening to them on Air America last night, screaming at each other about the ways in which the left has gone too far left and the right has gone too far right and there's no center anymore. They never have uh, uh, dinner together. Actually, the women in the Senate have dinner together, so they still speak to each other. But uh, we've decided to become enemies, you know. There's no enemy without, so we've decided to become, uh, what is that, uh, pretty much like we were before the Civil War. Uh, anyway, uh I was thinking the other day, uh, making lists of uh, the new growth, you know, the little bits of new growth, you can see it coming, uh, the alternative choices. Um, of course, you know, uh, things are never uh, that simple. The fall of Rome took about 400 years, and of course, all sorts of good things were growing at the same time. Uh, as we fall apart, we also pull ourselves together. And there are lots of Americans, um, actually wise Americans. I know at least three um, Americans of all ages and even in all classes, yes, that are waking up. I know a special few who are wide awake. Uh, then, of course, the, the somnambulant masses, yes, anyway... There's this culture of compassion out there, and it's truly emerging. You won't see it on the mass media, not in mainstream media, believe me. Uh, but they're setting up alternative agendas, resisting the culture of cruelty. Uh, it's more than a political movement. It's more than a culture clash. Uh, it's a new belief system. It's a new way of being in the world. I remember John Lennon's song, Imagine. That was a kind of anthem during that renaissance or renaissance, that period that we called the 60s. Yes, vaguely reminiscent of the 60s. <laughs> Imagine is a song of liberation. Liberation from the old straitjackets. Yes, the corsets of conformity. It was a prayer for a new age, an age without leaders or hierarchies with a new paradigm. It was uh, a dream of a homeland where these ideals that we spoke about and sang about, uh, where they might become a reality. Uh, 
you know, <laughs> was all that hippie s. Yes, of course. Then we got this reality sandwich shoved down our throat. I like to date it from 1980, although, of course, as I say, uh, these things are always uh, uh, up for grabs. Uh, I, I think that the Reagan revolution is when the bell rang for me. That was the backlash to the dreams of the 60s. It poisoned so many of our children. Then it was, you know, suddenly really, 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 really all about the money again. I mean, of course, it's always been about the money since property was invented. But uh, that mess in 1980, um, something, I remember the chill wind that blew and broke our hearts pretty much. Uh, millions of us who had the faith that the arc of history, you know, was bending towards a new time, towards uh, peace. I thought that, you know, on the whole, we were slouching towards socialism. I mean, real socialism, not a tyranny. You know, the Scandinavian practical kind, the humane system that provides citizens with the resources to do their best. Um, you know, so they can contribute to the group to become as educated as their talents will allow them. Freedom is... So simple. Freedom simply means the full use of your powers. Even if you're a girl, a female. So many women caught in our death machine today. They're certainly not free, certainly not liberated. Uh, it's funny. Those who, those who love power over, yes, uh, they are not free. To be liberated means that you want other people to be free, just as you are. And, of course, that's the biggest risk of all. Uh, today we've got, well, I was looking at that pathetic private Lindy English. What a shame for our nation. Poor girl's a scapegoat for the military. Um, she's, uh, yes, she's got that, well... Never mind. Uh, no sense being sorry for her just because she's a mother now. She has the baby to take care of. Uh, I was thinking how similar she is to the other young woman, Jessica Lynch. The other side of the coin, Jessica Lynch. Uh, Jessica became a media hero, you know, in spite of what really happened to her. She tried to straighten things out later, but the military at that point needed... Uh, Heroic young woman, so they cast her in that role. Both of them are used. These are the used people. Uh, in a pro-choice world, we wouldn't have to, uh, we wouldn't have to put up with this labeling. We wouldn't have to be uh, given assignments, turned into symbols and stereotypes. This media age reduces human beings to one dimension rubber stamps, whatever, especially women. Uh, we've got this burn the witch syndrome. I was looking at my mail here about Jane Fonda. There's even even a note about Jane Alexander. I mentioned Jane Alexander because she plays Franklin Delano Roosevelt's mother in a new movie called uh, Warm Springs. It's a movie about uh, the 1920s in rural Georgia when FDR 
was recovering from polio. But Jane Alexander has also played um, uh, Eleanor in the past in other movies. But the writer of that letter told me that Jane Alexander had let us down, had let the left down, because she didn't get more money for the National Endowment for the Arts during her tenure as chairman of that organization. My God! The point is that Jane Alexander helped the organization to survive. They were trying to just eliminate it. The funds were reduced. This is true. They cut the funds for the arts, as they always do. But the organization survived. Uh, Jane Alexander is a uh, left-wing hero. She's probably best known as the actor who played opposite James Earl Jones in Great White Hope. It was a stage play, very famous, and uh, it's about Jack Johnson, the uh, uh, first great black heavyweight champion. And uh, then they made the movie together. But um, if you're a school teacher, I do recommend this new film, um, Warm Springs. The HBO movies are uh, the new National Theater. It's difficult because... Some of the some of these series that uh, I'm crazy about are not probably suitable for the very young. Some people do feel strongly that um, that kind of language shouldn't be um, shouldn't be used in front of the children. But the movie Warm Springs is a family film. It's perfectly respectable. As a matter of fact, uh, I thought it was a bit just a bit too sweet, but that's okay. Uh, Cynthia Nixon plays um, Eleanor, and she does a terrific job. The uh, HBO series that I refer to that are for adults only include the marvelous Deadwood. I'm really hooked on Deadwood. No, <laughs> that language, I don't know whether it's Elizabethan or Mark Twain or whatever. Uh, the, the writers for Deadwood are marvelous, and Six Feet Under will start its fifth season. I think it's I think it's the fifth season. It's been on more than five years now. That begins in June, a brilliant series with most of America's best playwrights. Uh, It's better than Broadway, folks. All that seemed to start off with The Sopranos, but I never thought that American um, writers, theater people, could could match the, uh, the British imports that we had, but they sure have. Uh, I'm afraid um, I have to just give in and say that I wouldn't miss them. I have a letter here I want to mention to you that um, may be out of context a little bit, folks, but after watching Warm Springs, the story about FDR uh, and how he got help for his disability by swimming in this uh, mineral water 90 degrees, I got a letter today from an old friend called, uh, well, it's Terry Cockrell. He's a local architect. And we have a problem in our community um, uh, about our own warm pool. And I'm one of those arthritics who needs a heated pool. And this stuff is very close to our hearts. It's, uh, of course, it's a special interest. Yes, disabled people. Uh, Let me read it to you, Terry. Is such a nice guy. Um, he writes, while listening to the marathon council meeting, I became physically ill with guilt, perhaps, listening to the desperate needs of homeless providers, knowing that many millions would be needed if the Berkeley Unified School District insists that the warm pool be rebuilt across Milvia, just become 
just because some officials at the uh, Berkeley Unified School District might cave to the various pressures to eject the disabled and other community swimmers from the campus and pool at Berkeley High. Uh, we all should be grateful to the city council for supporting the exercise programs at the warm pool. And he goes on to thank um, Miss Betty Oles, Mr. Worthington, and uh, Donna Spring for their amendment to urge keeping the present structure and location uh, with attending much less expensive additions and alterations. Uh, and he goes on to talk about uh, working with one of the lifeguards um, for a remodel within the two sturdy pool rooms. Uh, once again, these are the sort of... Uh, hometown issues that matter in our daily lives and sometimes I wish we could have a program say oh I don't know late at night or something when we just quetch and talk about our our needs here it's getting harder and harder just to get the simple things taken care of uh, you know a, a hot pool you're kind of ashamed of of asking that the community provide such a thing but uh it's always been there, and it means a great deal to me. I think I'll go home and give Terry a call and see whether or not we can get a little letter-writing campaign going on. Yes, when in doubt, write a letter to the Times, a story of my life. Never mind, never mind. It is spring, it's spring, and even if the people are all nuts going out of their minds, the earth knows what to do. <laughs> never mind that we live in a... Cacocracy. One of my correspondents here at KPFA, Paul, he wrote me this wonderful letter telling me about this new word, cacocracy. I've been hearing it on Air America, too. I, I think it sounds like caca, cacocracy. It's a new word I've learned. It means a society or a state that is ruled by its worst citizens. No, that just about says it, yes. So, even then, living in this cacocracy, we have eternal truths, we have the roses, we have the universal verities, and all of this comforts my old bones. The ache is in the bones now more than the blood. Yes, be with me, beauty, for the fire is dying. Rheumatism can be worse than fascism, especially in the dark hours, yes. In the true dark night of the soul, it is always three o'clock in the morning, day after day after day. I pulled out my notes on Dear Emily Dickinson. I meant to spend the whole half hour today on Emily Dickinson, because we need uppers. Last month was National Poetry Month, and I never did get around to the poetry. Uh, the thing is that there's nothing more radical than a poet, and yet... In these times, we seem to put off the uh, the more profound, the more thoughtful work and just chatter about all these sticks and straws on the surface, you know, all these these little issues that the media loves. Um, Emily, Emily Dickinson wrote, My barefoot rank is best. Yes, my barefoot rank is best. For those of us of a certain age, we understand what she's saying. Yes, she didn't want to be a celebrity, and we see how right she was about that. Um, 
she had a line, uh, it was badly misinterpreted by Camille Paglia. Uh, Emily Dickinson writes, I like a look of agony because I know it's true. From this, Camille Paglia uh, <laughs> determined that Emily Dickinson was a sadomasochist. Excuse me. Uh, Emily is simply saying that uh, she likes things to be authentic. Uh, I wonder what she meant when she wrote, My life had stood a loaded gun. The thought rhymes of Emily Dickinson have been my Zen Cohen's for half a century. I always come back to Emily Dickinson in search of a resurrection, you know, around Easter time plunge back into the poetry, into the erotic. April is always the cruelest month, give or take a few weeks in late October. It's the time when we come alive once more, like it or not. <laughs> we revive the emotions. These days, the fear of feeling is everywhere. I keep stopping myself constantly. I don't know why that is, you know. I keep thinking that um, it's not safe. It's not safe to express emotions or... I mean, anger seems redundant and joy seems sort of rude, you know. Uh, it's not true, though. Joy is imperative and, uh, as my mother used to say, we owe it to the dead. Yes, get out there and uh, celebrate for them, uh, it's harder than ever to let go of what we think of as rational order. I keep thinking I must be in control, in control. Uh, it's hard to sing or dance in the moonlight. Uh, you can't make poetry out of these thoughts. Poetry is passion. It's just, you know, pure feeling. Linear thoughts must be seduced, you know, by wild mind. Wild mind is a fire of ecstasy. Dickinson was a Delphic oracle. Her songs uh, make a kind of mind music. She hears the grass grow. I love this line. She writes, Witchcraft is wiser than we. The conventional Christianity of her time and place was definitely not her cup of tea, she writes. I do not respect doctrines. They, that is her family that she lives with, they are religious except me. They address an eclipse every morning whom they call their father. <laughs> Emily Dickinson wrote that her business was circumference. It took me years to understand what she meant by circumference. Uh, let me read you, yes, her, her last lines. She was searching for the ineffable. She writes, impossibility like wine exhilarates the man who tastes it. Possibility is flavorless. Or as Gertrude Stein put it, if a thing can be done, why do it? Yes, Emily was reaching for the ineffable. And that's what some of us are still trying to do. 
I sure wish us luck. I won't be on Thursdays for the next two weeks because we have a marathon fundraiser coming up. I'll have a couple of books as premiums next Tuesday. Till then, or till this Thursday morning at 8.20, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. The San Francisco Museum of the African Diaspora and the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco presents Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr. in a provocative discussion of the story of Hannah Crafts Sunday, May 15th at 4 p.m. at the JCC, located at 3200 California Street in the city of San Francisco. For more information, you may call area code 415-292-1200, or you may log on to the museum's website at www.moadsf.org.